I'm going to ask you a question. It's an easy one. I'm testing your Bible knowledge. See if you can answer this. Shout out the answer. New Testament. How many Gospels are there? Shout it out. Oh, good. We've got that so far. Okay, four. Now, can you name them? The first one is written by Matthew, right? And the, the next one begins with names. So that's a help. And it was written by? Okay. And then the third one was written by? A few puzzled faces there. Luke, Luke, yes. So, Mark, Luke. And then the last one written by? Excellent. We know our Bibles so far, anyhow. And um, uh, it's good that we can name them all so well. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John went to bed with their trousers on. That's how I remember it from childhood, but it gets them into your head. Except all the Gospels, if you read the Bible, are anonymous. Matthew doesn't own up to writing that gospel, nor does Mark, nor Luke, nor John. If you read them, it never mentions their names. However, from church history and those who followed after, we know very well that the gospels were attributed to those four people, and there's very good reasons why that should be. Mark, actually, we believe, uh, was inspired by Peter, and he recorded much of what Peter had witnessed who was the chief of the apostles at the early days of the church. Matthew presented Jesus as as a king. Uh, Mark presented him as a servant. Luke's gospel's picture presents Jesus as, uh, as, as a man, the son of man. And John's gospel presents him as the son of God. And, uh, um, ben made mention to the book of Revelation and the uh, four creatures that bowed before, before God. And those four creatures had the faces of a lion, the king of beasts, uh, an ox, the servant animal, of a man and of an eagle that soars, that uh, indicates uh, the power of God. And so those imageries of those four gospels come to us very well. But what is a gospel? What is the gospel? Actually, it comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word, which you've probably heard of. Somebody wrote a play once called Godspell, and that is literally where we get the word gospel from. God's news, God's good news. And uh, from Greek, where it originally finds it in the Bible, the word you find there is the word oiangelion, from which we get the word evangel. And that word oi means new, and uh, angelion, an angel, it means it's, it's, a, it's an announcement or a message that's got to be brought. And of course, the Christmas angels, which we all know about, said, I bring you good tidings of great joy. The word good tidings is evangelize you. I'm evangel. I'm giving you the gospel. That's what the first angel said to those shepherds. And it's our job, of course, to take that forward. But you may discover that we don't find in the four Gospels a very clear definition of what the Gospel is. What we get in the four Gospels are four accounts or stories of what Jesus did and taught. But we don't actually get a proper definition until we come to this one. Can we have the first slide, please? And we wait for the book of Romans and the Apostle Paul. And he defines the Gospel very carefully for us. He says, firstly, I'm not ashamed of it, which is good news. It is the power of God. That is amazing, that God's power is held up in this good news, this gospel. And he goes on to say, it brings salvation, so it saves people, to everyone who believes. 
People have the opportunity to experience the power of God in their lives when the gospel goes out. It is that good news about Jesus. It's the testimony that is given about him and people's response. And if they respond in believing, in faith, they are saved. And Paul then says that um, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. What does that mean? The gospel is God's way of putting human beings at right with him. Instead of being guilty, foul, sinful, spoiled, destroyed, he presents us, and through the good news, the gospel, he makes us righteous. He transfers the greatness of Jesus onto us, the goodness, and suddenly we are clean, we are forgiven, we are pardoned, we are righteous. That is an amazing thing that the gospel does. And so often we neglect what the power is when you simply share the good news of Jesus. You don't often know the output. And quite often we share a message with somebody and we think, oh, they didn't listen, they just walked away. You forget you are part of a chain. You could be the first connection, the middle connection, or indeed the last connection where you bring someone through to the Lord Jesus by sharing your testimony and good news with them, and they respond in faith. But somewhere along that chain, you're a link if you share the good news about Jesus. So that's a terrific thing to know. That is what the gospel is about. But interestingly enough, that the gospel writers don't use the word gospel or good news very often in Matthew's gospel he only mentions it uh, four times in Mark's gospel he uses the word quite a bit eight times in Luke's gospel he mentions the word good news or gospel twice and John doesn't ever mention it why is that because we know that the gospel is so important to all of us it's a message we have got it's so important to the world and yet what is it that makes it different well we had to wait until somebody came along who took that gospel away from the Palestine Holy Land that Barry's in at the minute. What happened is that for about the first 10 years or more of Christianity, about the first 15 actually, the gospel stayed within Israel. It didn't get out. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem and it got stuck. And it took in AD 48 God to call uh, the apostle Paul and bring him into faith. And this is what happened. Next slide. Paul started sharing the good news. And he took it out, I'll say, in AD 48 to the areas around Antioch and just into modern Turkey. And then he took it beyond that. And as we know, through his three missions, he took it all the way to Rome and beyond. And the key thing is that the gospel suddenly went out of its building if I can use the illustration, it went out into the world community through the Apostle Paul. If it hadn't been for Paul taking it out, he doesn't mention the gospel five or six times. He mentions it 74 times in his letters. He was an evangelist, a preacher for the gospel. He called it my gospel. And he then explained that the church owned it as our gospel. And he described it as the gospel that he preached, as the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of truth, the gospel of Christ. But he also makes clear, uh, next slide please, where it came from. When he was on the road to Damascus, Jesus met him. The light blinded him, he fell down. And Jesus at that moment said these words to him, 
I will rescue from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to open the eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Jesus was calling Paul for this special mission to take it out to the Gentiles. That's us. And he said, I didn't receive it, as you can see in Galatians, from any man, or was I taught it? I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Jesus took Paul aside and explained the good news personally to Paul, and he took it out. So we have not got four Gospels. We've got five evangelists in the Bible. Paul was the last one. Paul's authority came from his commission because God had called him to share it. Now, some confused theologians tell us that, well, when you're reading the Bible, you really need to stick to the Gospels. That's where the real truth is. Paul gets a bit misogynist at times and gets a bit funny in places, and we we can't believe everything Paul says. If you do that, you've ripped the Bible apart. You may as well throw it in the bin. God either gives all of the Bible or he gives some of it. Uh, gives none of it. He can't give some of it for our petty interpretations. And unfortunately, many people are confused by what Paul really said, particularly actually about women, because they've got it quite wrong in many times. And erroneous interpretations of God's word don't make it true, or or the the, the the erroneous statements true. Rather, it is what God has revealed and shown to us in giving the good news to someone who would take it out beyond the confines of Palestine. Now, one of the things we need to understand is this. When you read the Gospels, you discover what Jesus did and how he did things. The four Gospels do not explain another question why Jesus did those things and what we need to do next. The Gospels stop at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But from that, we need to understand this. Next slide. That the revelation God has given doesn't stop with the death of John or the John chapter 21. It moves in and we need to understand Paul's teaching much deeper to understand what we should do and how we should behave as Christians. We need to understand far more of what Paul explains about the Gospels and about the good news of Jesus if we need to grow as Christians and need to be equipped properly with the tools that God has given us. And uh, Fred Wood, who uh, I'll come to him in a minute, made this quote. He said, wonderful as the Gospels are, he said, they point on to the epistles for a fuller unfolding of the truth. And we need to grasp more of what Paul teaches Now, Jesus predicted to the apostles what way things would go after he died. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will remind you of what I have said. That is where the Gospels came from. After Jesus uh, rose again and left for heaven, uh, around AD 50 onwards, Mark, then Matthew, then later Luke, and finally John started recording those Gospels, reminding us of what Jesus said and did. But... The answer, Jesus said, the spirit of truth when he comes will not just stop there. He will explain it further and he will guide you into all the truth. In other words, what do the gospels mean? That's where you come to the, uh, the, the further epistles. 
And then it says in the, same, uh, in the same sentence, Jesus said, and he will tell you what is yet to come, the book of Revelation. So Jesus promised on his, uh, at the last supper this was, uh, uh, on his last day with the disciples, that he would take the uh, apostles on a journey and explain much more than you'll find just in those four gospels. And we find much of that, as I say, in Paul's teaching. Why should that be? Well, the role of the Gospels are to give us the basic facts of Jesus. They tell the story and lay the foundation. But to then take that further into teaching and application, we then need to go to the epistles and the writings of Paul in particular. And when we get there, we find that we discover so much more. Next slide. Uh, Carry on, next slide. Some of the great themes come out only in the letters. We're going to have communion in a few minutes. The communion is celebrated in the, um, in, uh, the, the, the latter end of the, the Gospels, but it doesn't tell us we should continue doing it, nor does it explain how we should do communion. All of that we've got to wait till Paul explains it in the book of Corinthians. And you find other things. The doctrine of the teaching of the Holy Spirit. It's briefly mentioned. Jesus explained what he would do to bring uh, conviction of sin and so on. But it's all explained much later in the letters. The teaching on what it means to be adopted as God's children. Where we have the right to call God our Father. That is all explained by Paul. And there's some technical words in there. Some of them you might find a little bit puzzling at at, at first. But they're extremely important for your Christian growth and behavior. Paul teaches how wives should behave to their husbands. How husbands should behave to their wives. How children should behave to their parents. How slaves and employees should behave to their employers. And there's all the detail of how churches should behave one towards another. He teaches what sort of morality we should expose and live. He teaches what sort of behavior we should have when we collectively meet. All of that we need to understand. And so what we're going to do is we're going to follow through a series on what we're going to call the gospel according to Paul, which, as you saw on the previous slide, that's a little book that was written by Fred Wood, who uh, was a great evangelist of the last century. And it takes us further into discovering how we grow and how we know and how we develop as Christian believers. And we're going to take some of the key things. Next slide. These are some of the themes that we've got planned. How do you respond to your sin? Where do you stand in relation to your sin? There's a big long word there, which Paul explains to us. In a couple of weeks, we'll be looking at that big long word. How do you stand in relation to your heavenly father? How did he become your father? And what is your relationship? There's another word up there, which explains that a little bit further. And um, I think in the last Sunday of this month, Uh, Mike will be explaining that to us. We go on to the next one. Where do you stand in relation to Jesus? Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. What does that mean? And what implications does that give for our Christian lives daily as we live? We'll be looking at that in uh, November. Uh, I think that's Ivers actually covering that one. And then where do we go next? What is the future? Again, we're going to look at where we take things beyond that and heaven and what our future might be, what can we be sure of, and what can we understand. And then lastly, Gary uh, has uh, kindly agreed that at the end of November, we're going to look at 
How do we walk with the Holy Spirit? What transformation should we be making in our lives? What is the whole point? And that's where we're going to finish the series. So for the next two months, I hope I've outlined the series. Why is this important? Answer, Christians don't know their Bibles these days. If you go to any school, you will find rarely, except for church schools, will you even hear the gospel stories taught. It'll be comparative religion. And um, I think it was Bishop Desmond Tutu asked a chap what he studied, and he said, I study comparative religion. Uh, And he said, you mean that's religion for the comparatively uh, religious? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, it's, it's, it's a problem that in our school education systems, when I grew up in my primary school, I had to learn the book of, well, not the whole book of Isaiah, but I had to learn chapters from Isaiah. My primary school teacher just made our class memorize it and other verses from the Bible. We were allowed to do that in those days. Religious education meant Christian education, meant learning your Bible Sadly, not anymore. And if you explain to people out who Jesus was, they will stare back at you. What's Christmas about? Why bring Jesus into it is a a term we often hear. And quite often, this country that we used to grow up in, uh, that many of us remember in the the, uh, 50s, 60s and so on, where religion at least was was not, not just tolerated but encouraged and Sunday schools were active, people learned their Bibles. But sadly, that's 50, 60 years ago. That's gone. And many schools don't even refer to it, never mind teach it. So we have a problem that Christians aren't getting into their Bibles well enough. And so we feel it's important to learn what does it really teach? And how can we be practical in our faith? And how can we understand what the great concepts, the, 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 the foundations of our faith are about? And we're going to tackle them over the next few weeks. I hope you find pleasure and benefit in them. But I would encourage you to continue to read through uh, some of Paul's letters. I know the book of Romans is one of the trickiest ones. Uh, I mean, poor Kate, yeah, poor Katie this morning had real problems trying to read it. Because some of the complications of ways he puts words aren't easy. But once you grasp what Paul's actually saying, you suddenly realize, I need that. That's part of my growth as a Christian. And that's part of my witness and testimony to people outside. I need to understand with confidence that what I share with them, I can know for sure in my own heart. So let's grow. Let's go on. Let's not just get back in a building, but let's get back into foundations. Let's get growing and let's the fruit of the Holy Spirit come out of our bodies, lives, and personalities as we discover more what God's word has to say to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.